My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. He replied, What do you wish me to do for you? They answered him, Grant that in your glory we may sit one at your right and the other at your left. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, we can. Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right or at my left is not mine to give, but is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they became indignant at James and John. Jesus summoned them and said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and the great ones make their authority over them felt. It shall not be so among you. Rather, whoever wishes to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you will be the slave of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus A couple who's been dating for over a year have this huge fight. Stephanie, who is this waitress, when she gets off work, goes over to her boyfriend's house, and it was a, a tough night. All she wanted to do was vent about how, how horrible it was. Frankie's lying on the couch in his living room watching the TV when she walks in. And he says, hi, honey, how was your night? And she starts telling him all the things that went wrong. The orders that kept getting screwed up almost with every table. The kitchen was backed up. One of the other waiters didn't show up for work. And she continues to vent how she didn't even make a lot of money from tips, with the final insult being that last table she had that night, their bill was about $200, and they didn't leave her a tip at all. And Frankie doesn't really say anything or even try to make her feel better. And then all of a sudden he starts laughing. Stephanie says, what's so funny? He says, oh, I'm sorry, babe. I wasn't laughing at you, laughing at the television. Stephanie is already upset from a rough night at work, is now enraged. She says, have you even heard a word that I said? And his reply said, of course I did, babe, and you should be happy that last table tipped you $200. Selective listening. Scientists have been exploring this phenomenon for decades, ever since loved ones started to insist that their spouse or their parent or their child must have hearing difficulties only to come back with a clear bill of auditory health. And theories run all over the place as to why this is a legitimate issue. A person might be preoccupied by their own feelings, maybe they're hungry or they're tired, they're multitasking or listening to multiple conversations. 
Maybe previous experience makes them believe that they already know what the person's going to say. But the one reason that's the hardest to confront or admit to, sometimes we only pay attention to what we think is most important, what we want to hear. This notion of selective listening might explain James and John's behavior in tonight's gospel. Because moments before this episode, Jesus had just said, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be condemned to death by the chief priests, the Gentiles are going to mock and spit at me, and I'm going to be scourged, and I will be killed. And three days later, I will rise. And the first thing out of these brothers' mouths is, Jesus, we want you to do something for us. Make us sit one at your right and one at your left when you enter into glory. When we read the scripture straight through, it's kind of shocking to hear it. They sound so arrogant, so entitled, and beyond inappropriate. How could they have been so, so thick-headed? Maybe they had the memory of the transfiguration from a, a few days earlier in their heads, when Jesus had been transformed and bathed in light as Moses and Elijah appeared, and they heard God the Father's voice saying, this is my beloved son, Maybe that was running through their heads, and all they heard was Jesus say something about rising in Jerusalem and figured, we better act quick. Or maybe the miracles they had seen and experienced were running through their heads that seemed to justify them asking boldly for something. Whatever the case, it's easy to be taken aback by, by James and John's question, to be angry at them. We kind of understand that the other ten become, as the gospel describes them, as indignant. But just to be sure, Jesus clarifies for us that the other ten weren't angry about their lack of thoughtfulness or concern or empathy for what Jesus was about to enter into. The other two were just as selective, ten, were just as selective in their listening. They're angry because these two had tried to beat them to the punch for those two top spots. The reality is, despite the fact that Jesus has pretty bluntly told all of them what's going to happen to him several times, None of them seem to be listening. They don't want to hear it. And who can blame them? Who wants to hear about the cross? Who wants to hear about pain or loss? Who wants to look at suffering? For us now, and for people back then, one of the constants is that we're living in a world that fixates on avoiding all those things and encouraging every one of us to do whatever we can to, to minimize or eliminate them for ourselves. We spend a lot of time trying to, to prevent, prevent loss, a lot of energy wanting to alleviate pain. We've found multiple ways that we try to numb suffering. We work really, really hard not to look at the cross and to deny it. Yet it always comes. The cross still comes for every one of us, leaving each of us with different wounds and brokenness and weakness. Maybe it's a sin that you feel ashamed of. Maybe it's an addiction that you continue to struggle with. Maybe it's an illness or a pain that's just taken the toll from you. Maybe it's an emotional wound or a personal pain that you haven't shared with anyone. Maybe it's a loss you continue to grieve about that you don't want to admit to. Because we're surrounded by a world that wants to get rid of all crosses. Because the world 
is fixated on glory like James and John and the other ten. And because of that, that unhealthy pursuit for just the glory, rivalries and jealousies, envies and gossip, arrogance, moral superiority, they run amok in people's hearts and souls. And all of us can selectively listen and tune Jesus out ourselves whenever he speaks about the reality of the cross. Every one of us have our own wounds and our own brokenness and our own weaknesses. It's not defeatist to admit that. We're defeated when we deny that, when we deny the cross. But when we see that we're not defined by our wounds, that's when we can begin to experience healing for that brokenness. We can overcome our weaknesses when we listen to what Jesus is saying. Because Jesus didn't tell his apostles about what's going to happen to him, about the unjust trial and the conviction and the sentence that he's going to face to get them to suit up and prepare for battle. He knew they're going to fail in that regard anyway. They're going to abandon him. He's telling them and all of us, he's giving his life freely. He's entering into the worst aspects of human life to show us a way out of those dark areas so that we never lose sight that we can have life. He's offering us his life to save us. What does that mean? In short, he's teaching us that any real life-changing love costs us something. You have to say that again. In a world where words like like or friend or love have been manipulated and treated so badly, we need to remember love isn't just this warm, fuzzy feeling. Love isn't just when I'm happy about something. Love isn't something that I like to do for people I like or who like me, who I want to do nice things for me in return. Those are at best nice gestures and at worst self-centered manipulations. Jesus teaches us that real life-changing love costs us something. So when you see a person who's lonely and who's struggling and you give them your attention, that costs you something. That's love. When you choose to take care of someone else, whether it's working at a homeless shelter or helping a relative who's elderly or sick, and you give your time and your presence, that costs you something. That's love. Yes, to actually step into someone else's pain, into their woundedness, that costs you something, and that's love. And we do that because Jesus teaches us that is what love is, and Jesus loves us that way. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus gives up his glory, he gives up his power, and he's allowed to be made weak, to be broken, to feel our fragileness, our woundedness. The woundedness of a world where Human beings still try to pretend they're God, that they're the centers of the universe, and in the process they hurt themselves and others. He steps into all that, and it costs him something, costs him everything, his life, and that is love. But he's willing to make that sacrifice, to make that attempt, as he himself tells us in tonight's gospel, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. He asks us, are you listening? 
Do you truly want to be great? You really want to be on my right or my left? Watch what I do and then do the same.